You know when you're sitting at home or, or, or maybe you're in a, in, a, in a movie theater and you were doing this? I think we've all had an experience at something like this. Maybe you're in the basement of, of the house and you're watching a movie and it's a thriller. Maybe a little bit scary, a little bit intense. And, and, and as you're watching, you see that um, the, 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 the protagonist, the hero is there and they now come across the villain, the bad guy, the alien, whatever. They burst through and you go, oh no. And then they start to run, right? They start to run. And, and then as an audience, we're all sort of cheering for that person and yet we feel them. And they always seem to do that, that thing that we know we would never do. And as an audience, we react to when we see them do it. We, we always watch that, that person who's running to try and get away. They, they always, what do they do? They fall down, right? They fall down because they turn around. And as they turn around, the entire audience with one voice comes together and they say, don't turn around, just run. Stop looking over your shoulder and run. But they don't do it. They get caught. And we, we enjoy that experience and we, we see it on, on a screen and it's, it's a virtual kind of a relationship we have with it. But we, uh, we also watch it happen in real life. We watch how both in the movie or the show and in real life how the person who is running from something turns and looks over their shoulder and they invariably lose their balance. They fall down and the darkness, the, the bad overtakes them entirely. We watch it happen in our friends' lives. We watch it happen in our families' lives. We watch it happen in our own lives. We, as a people, know somehow innately that we are supposed to run from the darkness. And we picture it as running from evil in fear. We, we have this behind us. We must get away. We must flee the beast. But this is not so much about fleeing the physical beast as it is run from temptation. And not because the temptation is so powerful that it's going to beat you up or something, but because that temptation distracts and disorients us from the path that we have chosen. We are striving to no longer conform to the image of this world. So if we don't flee the darkness, we get caught up in that which so easily entangles we know that when we get that thing, it's not that you started off to have a bad day. You started off thinking that you were going to do great. You were going to do well. And then one thing happens to you and you lose part of your resolve. And by the end of the day, you find that the resolve that you started with seems to have evaporated and that desire to live in a specific way has been distracted. It's been just um, shaved off a little bit and you, and you kind of just forgot about your original intentions. The writer of Hebrews describes this for us. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Okay, so this is uh, Hebrews chapter 12. And what comes before Hebrews chapter 12? Well, it's Hebrews chapter 11, right? And, and we know that in Hebrews chapter 11, that is the chapter, the faith chapter. It's the, it's the hall of fame of faith heroes. You got Moses and Noah and David and um, by faith this and by faith that. That's the way the story goes. So all of chapter 11 of Hebrews is about faith and the, and the heroes of the faith. And then starts in with therefore, because of them, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great 
cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. If you're going to run somewhere and you want to get there quickly, you don't decide to strap on another backpack. You don't say, well, why don't I carry a sleeping bag at the same time? You, you don't try to add things on. When you see athletes who really want to run far or fast, they strip down to everything. They get super tight clothes on. They got shoes that you can only wear once because they're, they're so fragile. They, they want everything to be as light as it can be. So he's telling us to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. If you've seen um, any of the Lord of the Ring movies or, or Harry Potter, you'll, you'll remember there's giant spiders. And giant spiders are gross. They're just nasty. And they have giant webs. And each one of these things, you, you see somebody who's running along, not really looking at where they're supposed to be going, kind of looking over their shoulder. And as they look over their shoulder and they're running forward, they run into giant spider webs. And they get caught. And they, you know when they get caught, they kind of shake when they're in their webs. And we see that and we go, oh, that's gross. But this is the idea. Those things that distract us we don't necessarily see everything that's happening around us, and we get caught. We get easily entangled. And then he goes on to say, and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, eyes up, right? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him. Now, we talked about this before as well. The joy set before him. For the joy set before him. This is what Jesus is doing because of you. You were the joy set before him. Setting you free from sin and bondage. Saving you from the terminal effects of sin. That was the joy set before Christ. That's what he was looking at. Because of his love for you, as he's going, this is what I'm looking at, the joy set before me, because of what I can see, I can do this. Because of you, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Because you will also endure or encounter opposition from sinners. And he's telling us in advance, this is what will happen. So, don't get weary and lose heart. What are you fixing on? What are your eyes focused on so that you will not get weary and lose heart. Jesus had his, his eyes and his mind fixed on you, on saving you, on delivering you, on, on, on releasing you from, from guilt and shame and, and bondage and sin and death. He had his mind and his eyes focused on that. What are you focused on? Where do your eyes fixate? Are your eyes looking down at what happens to you and around you? Or are your eyes up, fixed on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith? 
Because, because if, if you're looking constantly at what goes wrong and what is hurting and what is lousy around you, you will find something. And for many of you, I know that it's true. It's there right now. And the, and the, and the truth is, it might very well get worse. But focusing on it will not enable you to do a better job. It will not help you to endure. It will not help you to overcome. It will cause you to become weary and lose heart and give up. And so we acknowledge these things there. We don't ever pretend that they're not there, but we focus our heart, our mind, eyes up. We, we put our heart and our mind on Jesus and on the mission that he has given us. But when, whenever we talk about spiritual things, they seem to kind of make sense in church. And well, that seems like a good spiritual idea, but what am I actually going to do? What am I going to actually do when I have to live this out? When I have to be around other people? How am I actually going to do that? What physical things will I be able to take uh, under my own control and act them out? So I want to tell you a, a quick story about a guy named Nehemiah. And all through the Old Testament, we get this story where um, Israel gets in trouble. The, the kingdom is split in half. There's now Judah in the south and Israel in the north. And they, they, they have problems with the Babylonians and they have problems with the Assyrians. Time passes, empires change. We're now in the Persian Empire. And the Persian Empire, um, things start to loosen up a little bit. And so they start to allow some of the Jews to go back to Palestine, back to, to uh, Judah. And they, they want to go back to Jerusalem because as a people, their heart, their, their ethos, their, their um, sense of understanding as a culture and a people, as a nation, is housed in holy land. This is the land that Abraham was promised by God himself. Here is the promised land. We need to get back to the promised land. We need to inhabit that land in our holy city, Jerusalem. And we need to build the holy temple so that we can have uh, connection with God. This is the, the way that we are able to commune back and forth with God. So we need to be in our holy temple, in our holy city, in our holy nation. So they get to come back. But the people in the, in the surrounding area are not so fond of this uh, reunion. The, uh, they've been gone kind of for 70 years. And the, the people who live there now say, hey, well, this is kind of our spot. We're not really interested in you coming back and having a grand reunion tour. We'd kind of like to keep things as they are. And so as they tried to rebuild Jerusalem, they were finding that there was great opposition from the surrounding uh, peoples. And so as they were going, it just wasn't going well. They had um, a lot of attacks and it pulled down the, the work that they were doing. And so a guy who worked for the king in uh, Persia, Nehemiah, says, hey, can I go too? I, I want to go. I feel like this is what my people need from me. I got some skills. Let me put them to work there. And so I want, I want to get back there. I want to help get Israel back up on its feet. Um, and so Nehemiah comes back. He comes to Jerusalem, and he helps to organize things, and he gets the people working a little bit more efficiently and effective, and they begin to rebuild the wall. You need the wall because the wall keeps the bad people out. So we want to do that. We need our protection set up. And as he's doing that, they, uh, they continue to be in, in struggle. And so he says, here's what we're going to have to do. We're going to take some of our workers, and we're going to assign them to watch duty. And we're going to arm them. They're going to be soldiers. But everyone else is going to have to be armed as well. You're going to have a sword and your, um, your pickaxe. You're going to have a sword and your stone cutting stuff. You're going to have a sword and your mortar laying brick making stuff. 
Whatever your job is, you will also have a sword with you so that you will be ready to defend what we are working on here. We'll defend the holy city so that we can rebuild it. And the, the guys in charge of the other chiefs of the nations around say, okay, Nehemiah seems to be the guy in charge. What we need to do is get in contact with him. And so they send him a number of, of letters and they say, hey, Nehemiah, why don't we get together and why don't we talk? Why don't we see if we can negotiate some sort of better relationship? And what Nehemiah finds is that by the Spirit of God, he, is, he understands these people don't want to negotiate a better deal. They want to get me away from the people, take me away from the work, surround me and kill me. They want to isolate me. So here's what it says. Here's the story here, Nehemiah chapter 6. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop? Well, I leave it and go down to you. Four times they sent the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. That's what you can do. That's what you can say. I can't get involved in that distraction. I'm on a mission. I have a point and a purpose. My eyes are fixed on a goal. I am in pursuit of Jesus. I am part of a larger story. Other people depend on me to do this. I'm sorry, but I'm carrying on a great project and cannot go down. I don't need that darkness. I just don't have time for it. It's in direct opposition to my mission. You are trying to distract me, and I will not be distracted. My eyes are on what I am running towards. Paul, Paul taught his protege, Timothy. So the apostle Paul, great leader, um, he sets up churches all over the place, and he's got a number of younger folks that have been sort of pulled along in, his apprentices, um, that kind of thing. Timothy is a pastor in one of these small churches that has been set up, and Paul tells Timothy something very similar. It's, it's brilliant and simple. So he starts with this uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, you remember back in, when we did the study called Twisted, we looked at this. For the, root, uh, for, the mon- for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is not for, for money is the root of all evil. That's the way we say it quite often, for money is the root of all evil. But that's not right. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, if I was to ask you today, is there anyone here today who would like to line up for piercing themselves with many griefs? Is there anybody who would like to do that? No, it doesn't even make sense to us. Who would choose to do that? And yet, this world that Paul is describing, he says, Timothy, this is the world you live in. This is the way people around you are living. They are conforming to that world. And you have a desire. I know you do. That's why I'm saying this. You have a desire to also conform 
to that way of living. But what I need you to do is to not do that, but to conform to the path of Christ, to allow your mind to be renewed by the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. That's what I need you to do. And so you're going to have to reject some of these things. What they are doing is causing all kinds of problems. Look what's happening around you, Timothy. You can see it. Watch what's happening. See people's lives unfold. And when the choices that they make as they conform to this pattern, they find that what they're doing is they're actually piercing themselves with many griefs. But now, Timothy, not you. Not you because you're carrying on a great project. You can't go down. You can't become involved in those things that would conform you to the pattern of the world. This eager pursuit just after money so you can get stuff. That is a problem. Don't go down. You have a great project. You can't get involved in all that. Don't get involved in that stuff that's happening around you. Don't go down. Stay focused. And then he goes on. And this is, this is the magic. This is the glory one right here. But you, man of God or woman of God, flee from all this all this stuff that you see in the world, all this stuff that you see that's around you, this conforming to the pattern of the world, flee from that. Don't just gently kind of walk away. Flee from it because it's a distraction. That kind of distraction will pull you down. It takes you off your mission. It makes you forget what you're supposed to do. It takes your eyes off Christ. It takes your heart away from where it's supposed to be. And your heart begins to long for something, someone, else, someone other than God, something or something else that has no desire for your best interest. It has everything to do with an appetite, with a desire to consume, to take for me, for more, for safety, for security, to not trust in God. All those things are happening. Flee from all this. But it's not just about run away from, okay? Because when, when we see those people in those movies as they're running from stuff, they are focused very much on running away. And when you run away, you are prone to look back over your shoulder at what you're running away from. That is your focus. Even though you're running away from it, it remains your focus. That's what you see. That's what you're thinking of. That's what's in your heart and your mind. That's all consuming. And as you continue to look back over your shoulder at what you're running away from, what you find is you lose your balance for going forward. You lose your focus, you trip, and you fall, and the darkness catches up to you, and you become caught, and you are easily entangled. You are distracted. Your eyes lose focus. You have now conformed again to the pattern of this world instead of conforming to the heart and the nature of Christ. So he says, flee from all this and pursue righteousness. Pursue it. You don't just flee from, you pursue. You need to have the focus on where you are going, not just on where you're leaving, not just on what you want to get away from, but on what you want to get to. And as you focus on where you want to get to, it enables you to run more wisely. And as you run that way, you're less prone to looking over your shoulder to see what's behind you, losing your balance, falling down, conforming to the pattern of this world. So we flee from all this darkness and we pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. All these things are of the spirit of Jesus. 
They're what draws you out of conforming to the pattern of this world, and they are what transforms you into the image of Christ, that you would be able to be like him, that you would appear in his likeness. So flee, run from the darkness, but don't get caught just running away. Run towards something, run in pursuit, in earnest pursuit of righteousness. Run towards Christ himself. Christ in us is our hope of glory. That's why we stay focused. Now, how many of you have ever heard of the Salvation Army? Most people have heard of the Salvation Army, and you see it, and they quite often are, are uh, very visible in public because they wear uniforms that say, we're the Salvation Army, and they do that, and they have on their collars, maybe you've seen them, S, an S on this collar and an S on this collar, and it's not Nazi SS officers, it's not a tribute to World War II in any sort of way, but it's about salvation. They are the Salvation Army, and they are clear about what they always want to be reminded of. The the, the, the S on this collar right here, it reminds them that they have been saved from something. Salvation Army always focuses on salvation. They have been saved from something, saved from sin, saved from purposelessness, saved from narcissism, from shame, from fear, from powerlessness. They've been saved from an addiction, a bondage, a guilt, saved from immorality or saved from selfishness. You have been saved from something. But that's not the whole story. That's one collar. The other collar, you've been saved for something, yes, but you've also been saved for something. Saved from and saved for. Salvation isn't something that happens to get you out of something. It happens to get you into something. It's not about the past. It's about the future. It's not about what you're running from. It's about what you're running towards. Keep your eyes focused on that. So as you run, as you are in your daily life, you are always going somewhere. What are you running from? What are you fleeing? You need to know your enemy. You need to identify what is the struggle that you are trying to overcome. (coughs) Know your enemy. And as you run, more important, add this one to your list of things to do. What are you running towards? Don't focus on the past. Don't focus on the darkness. Don't focus on the sin. Focus on what you are running towards. And let me encourage you, as you do that, let me give you some guidance. Run to Jesus. Run to him. Spend time with him. Allow his heart, and his mind to become yours. So we ask that you would spend time in prayer. Prayer not because the Bible says so, or prayer because the pastor says it's a good idea. Prayer because it's communion with God. And as you pray, hopefully you will learn to listen. And as you listen, you'll begin to hear the heart of God, and it'll become yours. And you will be able to um, understand what the will of God is for you, as you are being transformed into his likeness, as you are conforming to the image of Christ, we use prayer as a way to change us, not just to make things happen around us. So I want to give you a piece of recommendation here. Um, Here's an app. Now, maybe this is not going to work for everyone, but it's called the Echo Prayer Manager app. 
And if you want to try and work on your prayer life, this is an app. It doesn't fix things for you, but it can help you with a focus. It can remind you, and it can store the information that you've got. That prayer can be one of those things that will help you to be transformed. Because as you are in the presence of Christ, you become more like Christ. His presence becomes more alive in you. In John 14, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. Today, is your heart troubled? Are you being distracted from your great work? Your great mission? Are you being tripped up? And slow down by that sin that so easily entangles. This morning, take the peace of Christ. It's yours. It's your birthright. But it will never be forced upon you. Run to Jesus. But also run together. That's what Into One really is about. We are trying to be the answer to the prayer of Jesus in his highly priestly prayer when he was asking that God the Father would, through him, make sure that we know that we are loved by God. We want to be part of that voice that tells people, you are loved by God. And as we do that, that will draw us together. That draws us together on a horizontal level, but it also draws us together on a vertical level, that we will commune more closely with God, more closely with Christ, and more closely with each other. So with, with that in mind, I would like to recommend to you a second app. This is the Into One app. If you don't have this app, why not? Please download it now. The Into One app gives us a prayer wall. And this is not just to, to make us feel like we're hip. Oh, the church has got an app. This is a way for us to connect with each other, even though we can't always be together in the same room. So we have a, a, on our app the prayer wall function. And anyone can write a prayer request in and send it. And then we can push it to everyone else so that we can be involved with caring for each other. If you don't have the app, that's the way that we transfer these messages in, in the most immediate way we can. So if you don't have it, you don't know that even last week we were praying for Blaine who had his feet crushed. You weren't involved in that process. You weren't involved in that story. You didn't know what was happening. How, how can we make, how can we help you to know what's going on? You didn't know that we were praying for another family from another church, a Bloomington Gospel Church, whose who, young father who had a, a sudden problem with his aorta and he was in, in rushed into, into surgery. The surgery lasted for more than 11 hours as they tried to work on him and, and, and you weren't involved in that process. You didn't know what was happening. We didn't have your strength to bond us together. We would love it if you would connect with us on a deeper way. Sunday morning attendance is wonderful but it's not the end. There's more. You need to have your hands on more. So I would encourage you, please get the Into One app. Turn on the notifications and stand together. The next thing, if you're more of a, a physical kind of person, not so virtual, uh, <coughs> we're starting something new called Into Sunday Night. 
It's going to start on September the 17th. And this will be an adult small group where you have the chance to be in contact, shake some hands, meet some people, get to know each other. It's every other week. So it's not hard to fit into your schedule. We're asking you to think about this. We know it's not going to be for everyone. Okay, we know that. But if it can be for you every other week, commit to it up front. Be together. The first one on the September, 27, uh, September 17th is going to be uh, a social to just get people connected so that they can see the location, they can meet some people, and they can get started. Every two weeks, starting September 17th, please follow up. We're going to be focusing uh, that around the, uh, the house and the ministry of Bob and Deanna Harvey. Um, please get to know them and uh, get yourself signed up. So we're going, to, we're going to run to Jesus, we're going to run together, but I'm going to encourage you to run boldly. <coughs> Face your fears. How will we vanquish villains if our only thought is personal security and safety? Those prayers are the most common in North America. God, keep me safe. God, bless me. God, take care of me. Make me feel good and better. That's not really about the mission. It's not really about transforming the world or my community. It's about save me. And we, we believe that God already has that in motion. So what we pray is for boldness. Help me to go forward to make a difference with my time and in my life. Do you know what one of the most paralyzing, crippling fears in North America is? It doesn't come up. It's not one of the phobias that people go to treatment for, but it paralyzes us all the time. One of the fears that has taken over North America, it's a dominant player probably in your life, Finances. Face your financial fears. That is the big one. And whenever it comes up in church, people go, oh man, you just want our money. Get your hand out of my pocket. I don't have enough to survive anyways. We are not about trying to get your money. We are trying to help you moving from just surviving in life to thriving in life. And we believe that one of the most important ways that you could do that is through generosity. And it's not about us getting money. It's about you saying who's in charge. Who is in charge? Is it Jesus who promises to be with us, to never forsake us, to never walk away, to, to provide for us above and beyond all that we can ask or imagine, for, to equip us for everything that he has called us to do? Is that who's in charge or is it money? Money's in charge because money gets me what I want. With money, I can do things that I like. I can be in charge. I can be independent. I can indulge. I can acquire. I can get new things. I can get shiny things. When you are dominated by the thoughts of money, you are choosing money as your God over Jesus. And we are here to try and help you grow your faith in Jesus one of the most important things for you to do to have a vital, vibrant, thriving life is to manage your money and to not let your money manage you. If you want to thrive, you've got to beat that beast. You've got to live in the spirit of generosity, in the spirit of Christ. You need to boldly trust God to provide what you need as you do, as he prompts you to do, and as, he, as you give what he prompts you to give. 
Now, this is, this is a big deal. If we had more time, I could tell you story after story after story where God has provided, where he has shown up, where he has given beyond all that I could ask, beyond certainly what I could imagine. The door is open. And I know that if we went around this room today, there are all kinds of people who would say yes and amen. That's where I am too. I have seen God work. I have seen him provide. And I know that it feels hard. I know that it feels tight. I know that you're going to stay away from my money. But what we're encouraging you towards is devotion to Jesus, freedom from fear. You can't hold tightly to money without holding tightly to fear. They just seem to go together. Fear of scarcity is what drives the financial side, not uh, a belief in generosity that God will provide. He will provide all that you need to complete all that he calls you to do. That great mission that you are on, that you can't come down from, whatever you need to complete that, he will provide for you. This is not about uh, an exchange program where you give a dollar, get 10 back. It has nothing to do with that. It is a, it's a trust relationship that God will provide what you need. It's not about get lots. It's about freedom to give more. And if you can learn to give it away, then it's quite possible that you'll have more to manage. Know your mission. And be about it boldly. Now, we're going to run to Jesus. We're going to run together. We're going to run boldly. But lastly, I'd like to tell you to run wisely. Make a plan. Stick to the plan. Be accountable. Running wisely. Running wisely looks an awful lot like running boldly together towards Jesus. Running wisely is not what you do on your own. Run boldly together towards Jesus. And let me remind you again that we are on this road trip in earnest pursuit of Christ. We are being brought together into one. We have hope and freedom in the love of Jesus. And this is what we long for you to know and to know deeply. And we long for the people who live around us to know this and to know this deeply too, this hope, this freedom, this love of God that, that takes us from fear, that removes our shame, that gives us forgiveness, that sets us free, that takes us from a path of conforming to the likeness of this world and instead causes us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, by the indwelling Spirit of God, empowering us to new heights, to new righteousness, because we have a mission. And our mission is so big and so important that we can't come down and get distracted by it. So as we run, we're going to run from our darkness, but we're not focusing on the darkness. We're focusing on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who started it. That is our desire, that your faith would grow, that you would be set free. Kind Father, Thank you so much for the love that you have shown us in Jesus. Whenever we doubt, to say, where's the proof that God loves us? Look at Jesus. Jesus came to live amongst us. He came to die by us. 
but loving us the entire time. And it was for the joy set before him, the joy of setting me free from my shame and my sin and my condemnation. It was the joy of setting you free from your sin and your shame and your condemnation. It was for that joy that he focused on what he had to go through to get there. He ran from the darkness, but he was running towards the light. Lord God, I pray for my friends that are here today that you would set them free, that you would continue to work in their hearts to transform them, to loosen the grip of conforming to this world and to bring them to the light of the knowledge of the glory of Jesus Christ as they allow the transforming power to renew their minds. Set us free, we pray, that we might be able to live boldly in this world in pursuit of you, together proclaiming this truth that we will lift your name up. We believe that you said when you are lifted up, you will draw all people to yourself. And that is our goal. That is our mission, to lift up the name of Jesus, to point people to you, to say, eyes up. I know things are tough around us, but eyes up. Look at Jesus. Eyes up. There's hope. Transform our hearts today. Transform our minds, we pray that we might be able to live well in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And now, Take this peace and be blessed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. Well, it's better when you're here. It's better when we're together. The more we connect, the better it gets. And as you are pulling yourself to get ready to leave, I want to send you out of here as the church of Jesus Christ and remind you that as that church, we are, we are Christ-centered. We are spirit-empowered, and we are mission-focused. And our mission is for everyone, everywhere, all the time. This is what we are about. And we can't come down. We can't come down and be distracted by those other things. Have a great week. Really hope we see you next week.